Book Four, Chapter One, Part Two of Precious Bane by Mary Webb. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Harvest Home, Part Two. What a day that was! Gold? I should think it was gold. I leased and leased, and it was just as if every armful was some precious heavenly treasure. Nearly all the fields were clean and bare when we had our tea under the hedge shade, for it grew no cooler as the shadows lengthened, being one of those mid-September days when all the gathered warmship of the summer seems to be spent and squandered in love of the golden grain. The sun was low in heaven, and the harvest beer low in cask, when mother banged the tray for me to come and help with the urns for supper. They were loading the last wagon, and I told Tim, who'd been a good faithful watcher, that he could go to the field and ride home atop, along with the other children, in the triumph. Then we brought out the urns, and the cask of home-brewed, very strong and good, and set about cutting up the meat and bread. We heard them shouting from the fields, and in a while there it came, the biggest wagon, with Jancis's white oxen, and the oxen from Plash lugging it, Grandfather Callard driving, all the children on top, and Jancis with them, waving green boughs and bunches of poppies, and Gideon, looking taller than customary in his smock, walking glad and solemn beside the load. Deary me, how the tears do spring, tears like mother and I shed then, for the joy of it all, and other tears for what came to pass after. For if in the mid of that great golden day you'd sent a sour of wind and a mutter, and black clouds running up the sky, and darkness and thunder and forked lightning, it couldna have been worse nor less expected than the storm that broke on us so soon. The wagon came on, and all the people followed, singing and shouting, till they came to the gate of the rickyard. There stood Parson with mother and me close by to bless the corn. People, he said, let us give thanks for daily bread. And all the people said, we give thanks unto the Lord. God bless the corn and the master of San, says Parson, and may his good deeds return unto him as doves to their mountains. Amen, said the people. Mrs. San bids me say that the feast is spread in the orchard, and all are welcome, said Parson. Gideon stepped forward. The harvest's home, friends, and thank ye kindly, he said. Let every man who lent a hand claim task-work of me from this on, till I've paid my debt. We sat at the trestles in the long light of sunset. At least the company did, but we at the urns were kept busy enough, and had no much time to sit down. Well, Weaver, says Magosida, I hear tell as they're making it pretty warm for ye, for stopping the bull-baiting, but I bear no grudge, I'm sure. Nor yet me, I like a man that likes a dog, says Towler. 
nor yet me says mr callard from the next table but there's some not to hold nor to bind said mugger cider i hear em in the bar nights oh i say naught landlord's a dumb dog with pricket ears ah that's landlord but they mean ye no good weaver it'll go hard but they'll take thy work away if they can and if they can do a spite to you and yours they all they've worked on squire too i know thank ye kindly all the same said kester it was squire i was hindered for to-day he wanted to buy my cottage nothing would do but he must buy it he knows very well that if he did he'd soon turn me out of the place for all the rest belong to him or friends of his'n offered me a deal of money did squire shall you consider it over dear to goodness no i shall bide there was something very pleasant to me in the way he said that it was as if he builded a tower of refuge before my eyes he met go for a little while a year even but for his life long he'd bide and it was only fifteen miles away and less as the crow flies and you'd best look out too prusan says mugger grimble took it very ill you knifing his dog not but what you did it well i must say i'm sure any farmer as kills his own meat ud be glad of ye or you met go for a doctor's mon and do right well mine said she couldn't believe it when prusan drave the knife in went on the landlord thought she'd seen a ghostly vision her did said a feather would have knocked her down her did which shows it must have been pretty bad for it inna easy to knock the missus down she's like a bouncing ball i do wish i'd been there said suki i'd have knifed the dog for ye in a minute mr woodseaves what did i give ye at beguiled his love-spinning mr woodseaves play kiss in the ring with us after mr woodseaves says moll you kiss right well i know felina leant forward across the narrow table oot play she said oot play weaver just then there was a call from the next table hushed hushed sexton's going to say a few words when sexton spoke the four walls of the church seemed to grow up round you and you could smell the damp musty smell of it and hear the flies planing in the windows for whether he was reading he took unto him a wife and begat a minadab or the golden bowl be broken or speaking at a harvest supper it was all the same friends says sexton we've had a good day i'm sartain there's not a man among us has hanna sweated proper even Granfay the callard has i'll be bound oh ah i sweated right well calls out the old man very pleased and now we be enjoying good victuals and drink and after that a game or two the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play exodus thirty two this was sammy sexton looked very angry at his missus as much as to say stop sammy and she said hushed sammy feyther's speaking 
Dunna you forget, as you can only call to mind other folks's words. But Feyther makes it all up new as he goes on. She settled down again to watching Sexton, for all the world like a cat watching a whirring wheel. I say we've had a good day, and Sans had a good harvest, and I ask ye for why? Because he's industrious, people, and his sister's industrious, and his mother's industrious. You couldna find in ten parishes a more industrious family. Not like some I could mention, as never do a hand's turn, coddling about with old ancient wicked books. Ah, there's some I could mention, as I dunna see the face of here today, that a bit of work would be the saving of. Well, neighbours, we all know as God helps those that help themselves, and when we look at all them grand ricks of grain, I'm sure we see it's true. And we wish you well, San, and I'm in behopes that the young woman'll be industrious too, for I hear tell the next brandy we come to at San is to be a wedding, and may it bring more prosperation and not less, though of course we may think our thoughts, knowing where she's from, and what's bred in the bone'll come out in the flesh. But fortunately there was a stir when he got to that, and a call from the other tables. There's two riders at the gate. And there was the young squire, and Miss Dorabella with him. They rode across the orchard, and the young man called out, Give you good evening, folks, and luck to the corn. For he was ever hail fellow well met with all men, I'll say that for un, and it made him well liked. Miss Dorabella seemed quite to forget she'd quarrelled with Gideon. She drew up by his table and smiled, sparkling her black eyes. Well, San, she said, you've worked your will for the farm, I see. You've got a desperate good crop. Are you going to offer us a drink of harvest beer to drink your health? I could see she admired him for a strong man, which he was. I never met but one stronger and I could see that the squire had told her to make it up with Gideon, and very likely sent young Mr. Camperdine to see she did it, for it was common property that she'd served him with sauce at the mugger cider, and the squire couldna afford to lose a man that was like to do well. Gideon looked at her straight and sullen, but she kept on smiling for all that, a bit conquering and a bit pleading. Then they gave her up the best pewter measure full of ale, and she says, Health and prosperation, San. Then she tossed it off, for she could drink ale with any man, and in those days it wonna so long since ale was a lady's only breakfast drink. Then she gave back the measure and leaned down, holding out her hand, stripping off the grand gauntlet, and she says, Your hand, San. Well, he was done then, for he couldna refuse a lady's hand. So he took it in his great fist, and young Mr. Camperdine nodded, as if to say she'd done enough now, and she put on her glove again. All the while I saw Jancis looking at her in the way that meant she was frit of her, and also that she couldna abide her. 
but looking at Miss Dorabella, with that sort of stony handsomeness she'd got, and then at Jancis, so soft and pinky sweet, it didna seem to me that Jancis had much to be afraid of. They gave young Mr. Camperdine some ale then, and when he'd wished them well and drunk it, he said, I thought maybe Beguiledy was here, but I don't glimpse him. Mrs. Beguiledy stood up and curtsied. No, sir, he inna here, though I should be, and you'd best not look for him at home, sir, for I doubt you wouldna find him. But if you come to days a week... I thought that was right clever of Mrs. Beguiledy. She wanted to give Gideon and Jancis time, and to keep the young gentleman away as long as she durst, while she thought how to manage Beguiledy. Right, calls out the young fellow as they rode off. Today week, and mind Venus is there. Jancis began to giggle at that. She always did at any mention of the silly affair, and it seemed so funny to her that he should be inquiring so anxious after the very woman his cousin had sarved with sauce, and she at table all the while. But I crouched down on the bench to seem short, and not to let him see my shape, so the Jancis went off in a fit of laughter again, and said I looked for all the world like a broody hen. We had some sport together over the young squire. Then up came Mrs. Beguiledy, very put about, wondering what to do with Beguiledy till the wedding day was safely come. All of a sudden she thought of Summit, and laughed and slapped herself till I thought she'd be took ill. Dear now, I've thought of it, she says. I'll ask my cousin from Lullingford, as is here by the mercy of God, to send a message to my maester this very night, to say as hers is took ill. I man think what he's to have, somewhat cruel bad. And as there's no cure but the old famous cure, to eat seven loaves baked at one baking by the seventh child of a seventh child, and she's to offer good money. You can pay after you be wed, Jancis, for you'll be having butter money or summat. And off he'll go dang swang to look for a seventh of a seventh, and it'll go hard, but we'll be in peace till Michaelmas. Oh, mother, says Jancis, giving her a kiss, you ought to have been a great general to ride along with Lord Wellington and lay traps for Frenchmen. It was all fixed up before the games and dancing began, and I felt sorry for Begaldi, till I remembered what a wicked old man he was, wanting to sell his child unwilling. By this it was near dark, and the moon rising big and rattled. They got together a dozen fellows, mostly middle-aged or old, to whistle for the dancing. They danced in the rickyard among the stacks of golden corn, sweeping up the straw with besoms first. Old Callard had been chosen for a whistler, and very proud he was, for being the oldest he chose the tunes and set the measure, and so he could feel that all the merry life in the manor depended on him, which is pleasing to old folks. Barley Bridge, he says. The pretty tune sounded out clear on the quiet air. I was standing under one of the stacks, watching. It was a gay thing to see. 
Gideon was dancing, holding Jancis close and strong. Mrs. Sexton was sailing about, and Felina too, jimp as a fairy. Even Mother made shift to dance a few steps. The twelve were whistling like a nest of throstles sitting in one of the empty wagons, opened the gates as wide as the sky, when Castor found me. So that's where you be, he said. Not dancing? No. For why? I am na like other girls. He considered that. Then he said, Well, I mun be going. I'm off to prentice myself for ten months to learn the coloured weaving in London town. Then I can do piecework at home and care nothing for Grimble and his gang. Coloured weaving brings in a tidy bit, and I'll send it by coach every few months. When'll you be wrought back? I said, as if I was drowning. I'll be back for next August fair, and I'll come and talk with you a bit then, Prue San. Maybe you'll forget. I dunna think so. Well, God bless ye, I says. And you. He turned to go. Then he turned back. But it's foolish in you not to dance, he says. A wench with a figure like an apple blow fairy. He geared a little laugh and went. So he knew about Venus. Oh, I was shamed and dumbfounded. I was angry with Jancis too, for she must have told him, though she never would confess it, but giggled and said he must have noticed my nice shape through my clothes, so that I was more shamed and vexed than ever. Mother was tired and wanted me to help her to bed. After, I looked from her window onto the rickyard, that had been void but for one big haystack all peopled now with dark shapes. As I stood there, Gideon and Jansa suddenly came round the corner of the house, and as they went by, slow and seeing naught but each other, I plainly heard Gideon say, Nay, Jansus, I'll make sure of what's mine. Tomorrow night, when your father's gone, come down and let me in. I didna hear her answer for they were past the window then, and besides I drew back, for I canna abide an eavesdropper. So that was in his mind. He couldna trust his dear love even for a sennight. I thought, well, maybe it was no harm, for they would be wed so soon. And indeed, whether it was again the church or no, I was bound to be glad that Gideon should show any human feeling times he seemed like a frozen man when all were gone and the chattels fetched in out of the dew it was getting on towards dawn so i went up to the attic and wrote in my book but first i took a sheet of paper and put down in very neat writing a figure like an apple blow fairy twas me he meant i said over and over poor prue san and a glow began in my heart, warm and pleasant as a gladdy fire. For what is there in this earth, or in heaven, if it comes to that, like the knowledge that you've found favour in the eyes of him that is your dear acquaintance, and the maester? I left off wondering what he thought of my hair shot and lip, 
for indeed it seemed he thought of it not at all. I called to mind a thing he'd said while we watched the dragonflies about sin. He said, if you thought of it rightly, it just wanna there. It was gone like the shrouds of the dragonflies when they'd rustled free. What did you want to go hunting about after the shroud for, when you could look at the bright fly? Maybe that was how he thought of me. My poor hideous lip was, as it were, my sin, though a kind of innocent wickedness. It was my sin, and all the rest of me was my righteousness and my glory, and the way I made him glad. I cried a long while for very joy, and such a rushing happiness went through me as seemed to make all the blood in my veins new, and I felt as if it was so pure and strong it might even cure me of my ill. There was some truth in it too, for my lip did never look quite so bad from that day. Morning came fresh and sweet and the rooks went streaming out across the windy sky to our stubble, with sleepy, contented caws falling scattered here and there. On the way to milk, I stopped by the rickyard to give thanks for the corn. Why then, in that hour, did I think of those words, the precious bane? Why did I think of that which men will garner with their harvest and treasure, though it is as fire-grass in a haystack? Why did a cold, boding horror stir in my heart, where all was gay and warm, as a catch of frost will strike in your garden plot of an autumn evening, when the dahlias are at their proudest, wine-colour and clear gold, every quill in place, blooming high above the wall with bees about them, so that in the morning all is winter sad? End of Book Four Chapter 1, Part 2